This is the Saturday to Sunday Football Podcast. This is where it all counts. This is why we're here. This is why each one of us are here. And now, here's your host. Welcome back to another edition of the Saturday to Sunday Football Podcast. I am Paul Pertichese, and thank you for joining me as always. Really excited to be joined by special guest this evening, Mr. Matt Williamson. Matt, welcome back to the Saturday to Sunday Football Podcast. Really excited to have you. Absolutely. This is going to be a blast. I'm glad we get to do this at least once a year, and it's always a good time. Let's dig in, man. There's lots to talk about. Absolutely. So here at Saturday Sunday, we continue to talk about the rookie class, the draft, and all things with these young players up until about August. And then we kind of turn the page and start looking at the next wave for that 2023 and beyond draft. So I've had on recently the last couple episodes, uh, Mike Clay and Joe Dolan picked their brain a little bit. I want to start with you a little bit different than where I started with them. I know you have a lot of uh, thoughts on the Pittsburgh Steelers, a team close to you there. And Kenny Pickett, where where do you kind of stand on Kenny Pickett in terms of what type of value you think he can provide for fantasy in the short term or in dynasty format? Are you buying the talk that he might not have a legitimate shot to beat out Mitchell Trubisky, who was just brought there about a month before him? Or do you think that's just noise right now? Yeah, and you mentioned this. I do a lot of work directly for the Steelers. I'm not a Steelers employee, but I get a check with Mr. Rooney's signature on it and a big Steeler helmet. And I live at camp, and I'm there quite a bit. So this is the team I am most out in with, of course. I didn't see Pickett as a top 20 player, but right outside that, if I were the GM. So I was a little wishy-washy on the pick. And to pull back the curtain, I I spent three years on the Pitt staff, too. And I'm a Pitt guy through and through as well. So I was as unbiased as I could possibly be. Here's how I think the quarterback situation projects right now. They were very high on Trubisky and targeted him from the start. And in my shows leading up the free agency, that was the I, I thought Jameis Winston and Trubisky were the perfect guys to go get on the cheap, try to revive a talented player that was drafted in the top two. Mariota kind of fit there too, but he was third on my list. And they did exactly that. And since he's been here, I know they're very happy with him. I, they are excited about his tools. They think that he's come a long way that year in Buffalo. For people that don't know, the head coach at Buffalo, the head coach in Pittsburgh, went to the same college, their best buds. I'm sure he came with a glowing recommendation coming out of Buffalo. And I'm not saying it's not a competition. I just don't think that there's much of a chance that anybody but Trubisky is the starter unless he falls on his face. You know, I mean, can Pickett come in like Russell Wilson did after Seattle signed Flynn and just light the world on fire? and take the starting job, sure, it's possible. But I think Trubisky is the guy they want to give every chance to succeed, and he fits the scheme really well. His numbers orchestrating play action are great. He's a good runner. He's mobile. Not to pick it isn't. But right now the pecking order is Trubisky, Rudolph, who they might trade for a fifth or sixth round pick or something like that, and then pick it. So on game day, I'm not even sure pick it would be – active because they trust Rudolph to get him out of games if the starter goes down. Now with this slightly insider take that, you know, Mm -hmm. you said they really liked him, you know, when they, when they brought him there and and since he's been there, were you surprised on draft night that they didn't then maybe pivot to a guy who wasn't as 
pro ready or ready to step in that was more of a developmental piece if they knew that they loved Trubisky so much and we're going to give him maybe this year were you surprised that they went picket and didn't maybe go for the upside of Willis or Ritter or somebody mm-hmm. else or were you expecting the picket pick as someone a little close to it I was not expecting the picket pick and there's plenty of audio evidence of me saying going into the draft that I preferred Willis that if Willis was there at 20 I'm going to grab him. And I was as shocked as anyone that he lasted three rounds. I have heard some things, and this isn't a negative on Willis, his ability to learn or anything like that. But he just has so far to go with the schematics, the X's and O's, the the understanding and orchestrating of an advanced uh, college offense, let alone an NFL one. I think that's the only reason he fell, is he's a year away from being a year away, which – you know, as an outsider, I didn't 100% know. As a former scout, and for people who don't know, I did a year of scouting with the Browns. Knowledge is king. And for people who don't realize this, if you look at the Steelers facility, there's a wall right down the middle with four practice fields in the back. And on the right side is Pitt. And on the left side is the Steelers. And there's a little cafeteria on the left. And they share the same parking lot and the same indoor facility, which is on the other side of the parking lot. So where I'm going with this is, they have more knowledge of this prospect than any team had of any prospect in the entire draft. I mean, there's just no way around it. Yeah. And I think you make a really good point there that we have to realize sometimes from the outside perspective, the people who just do this as a side hobby or, or just really get into sure. the draft that there's personalities involved in exactly. people. Yeah. There's, right. There's personalities. And also it's not sometimes only about the traits because you could stack up Malik Willis's traits with a lot of guys who've went over the last couple of years. Mm-hmm. But what we don't have any access to is what they ask them to do on the whiteboard, what they ask them to do in terms of reading defenses, if they show them film and stuff like that. And if they think he's light years away, well, that's obviously going to bring him down the board, even though we've seen first round quarterbacks, you know, the list goes back way, Christian Ponders and, mm-hmm. you know, the list goes, it's never ending, who had less physical talent than a guy like Malik Willis. But if they think, like you said, he's a year away from being a year away, right. well, Pittsburgh's kind of looking to turn this around quick. They think they have the pieces probably in place to to be a competitor this year, at least maybe a playoff team or push mm-hmm. for the playoffs. So that that probably also said, okay, well, if Trubisky fails, you know, Pickett is a guy who is more pro ready. We have all this insider information on him that we know that maybe he could at least you know pick up you know where we thought Trubisky was going to bring us and be a functional guy. Whether you want to say Mac Jones, good Andy Dalton, Kirk right, Cousins, right. pick a name from that kind of type of quarterback. So yeah, that makes a lot of sense there. While we're on the topic of Pittsburgh. Real quick, Paul. uh, Yes. Their version of a rebuild is not the same as the Jags version of a rebuild or what the Bears are going through. I mean, that organization. Mike Tomlin can't walk down to Cam Hayward and be like, Sam, we're going to probably win three or four games this year. You'll be all right. Cool. Like, that's just not how the organization thinks or acts. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And stay with Pittsburgh for a second. Because I haven't haven't divulged too much into this on the last couple episodes with, with some of my great guests. Where do you kind of stand on, I guess, first George Pickens and a little bit lesser to extent Calvin Austin? Mm-hmm. If we tie it into what is your initial read eight, nine months away from free agency next year in terms of what you think the Steelers may be leaning with Deontay Johnson, Chase Claypool, long term with those guys? Listen, we've seen a lot of wide receivers change homes that we weren't expecting to. It's started to become a little bit of a trend. We'll see if it's a long term trend or a short term trend. But where's your kind of thoughts on the, the guys who are in that building now 
And then the new wave of guys who were drafted, were they looked at as future replacements? At least one of them, maybe, if not both of them, maybe make sense a little bit of that wide receiver room for people maybe who are drafting late still in rookie drafts mm-hmm. or even thinking long term in terms of finding value in, in trades and dynasty leagues. I'll do my best because (laughs) I have mixed feelings and I don't have a great pulse. And I think we'll get answers soon, but no team in the league has used more day two picks on wide receivers. It's almost every year, you know, Juju, James Washington, the guys you mentioned every year, they almost use a day two pick on receivers and even a James Washington, none of them bust, you know, I mean, they've all been pretty darn successful, let alone the Antonio Browns in the sixth round. I mean, they're, they're receiver, Drafting history is unbelievable. And I've been saying this a lot this offseason, that if you or I were to write a book, the history of the wide receiver position in the NFL, I think this offseason would be its own chapter. Like, this is a pivotal time where some teams are saying, I'll trade Tyreek Hill, I'll trade Devontae Adams and draft and not spend a ton there, especially if I have a big-time quarterback, where other teams are going – I'll pay the stars, the A.J. Browns, you know, that there's so many that come into the league and you can get them at a discount, as you know, as well as anyone, day two, day three guys. Maybe I can just go cheap at this position because the cost of the stars is really, really going up. But they also have a ton of cap space and they don't have Ben's big contract anymore. And if you're going to pay anyone, I think Deontay's who you pay. Maybe that's a franchise tag after the year. He's clearly their number one. I'm a big Matt Harmon reception perception fan, and he raves about Deontay, especially against man coverage. He's the only one on the team that's a man coverage beater, and he got peppered with targets because he was Ben's whoopie and he wants to get the ball out quick. But targets are also earned. You know, he's open a lot. Real quick on Claypool, I think this is a pivotal year for him. This is a make-or-break year for him. Because if you look at the team, they don't really have a true slot guy. Pickens and Deontay will be the outside guys. I think Claypool, they haven't really divulged this, but I think he'll be the big power slot. That he'll be used more like Mike Gusecki than he will uh, DK Metcalf. You know, And he's going to have to block in the run game a little bit. That was Juju's role. Juju is a very good blocker. He's not real explosive. But they, they need all the help they can get in the run game. So I think Claypool will go inside. And if he fails there, they'll be looking for somebody else. Pickens, I'm very high on. I think Pickens has a chance to be a star. Yeah, and listen, there, I know there are a lot of really respected people in the community. I know Greg Cosell, I think, had him as number one wide receiver. Yeah, yeah. You know, so like there's a lot of people, you know, maybe some maturity issues, the injury concern. But if you put that all to the side and just looked at his film, I said I thought he was the most prototypical true X wide receiver maybe in this draft class. Well said. You know, so if he gets an opportunity – you know, as soon as next year to maybe be an integral part of that wide receiver at the top of that depth chart, you know, I think maybe he's even being slept on a little bit, you know, in rookie drafts that have already happened or maybe, you know, future rookie drafts where guys like Sky Moore and Christian Watson are going ahead of him because they kind of have that immediate opening, Mm -hmm. you know, but they're coming from smaller levels of school. I don't think they're talent. I don't think just natural talent. They're as talented as George Pickens. So it's like, again, we're, we're, we're going down that rabbit hole of, drafting for year one and we know that's a dangerous thing to go down in dynasty if you still had a rookie draft left would you go pickens before you went sky Moore, christian watson well ahead of watson watson scares me to be honest with you because i I think his his ability to earn aaron Rodgers' trust which we know is going to be unbelievably important i think it's going to be really tough on watson especially early in his career 
it's more versus Pickens. I have both of them ahead of Alave and Dotson. And, you know, so I was really high on both, but that's a conversation for me. I, I think Sky Moore's landing spot is tremendous. And one fantasy note on the Steelers, too, is I know Deontay's going to lead the team in targets when he's healthy, but Claypool, Pickens, Fryermuth, Harris are all splitting a not huge target pie, you know, because they want to run the ball a fair amount and protect the quarterback. So I don't know the volume will be there in year one. Yeah, and, and that's a really good point. And before I pivot back to one question about Kevin Austin, you kind of mentioned it, and I, I've been asking this question to everybody that's been coming on. Did you find it difficult this year to rank the wide receivers post-draft with so many of them going close together in round one and then a couple mm-hmm. of these day two guys going in pristine landing spots? Did you almost you know, stick more to your – pre-draft rankings and slightly modified it or you know how did you kind of handle that with so many receivers close in round one and then a couple of guys in pristine spots in round two I had a really hard time and part of it was I'm not sure your thoughts of this but overall I don't like this fantasy rookie class very much compared to other years so the leagues where I was picking third fourth sixth in rookie drafts I was trading for future picks or buying cheap veterans or second-year players that are stumbling. Uh, There's not really any of these receivers that I'm doing jumping jacks for that I have to have. A lot of times I was trading down from three or four to nine or ten to get Sky Moore or Pickens and, you know, wait for another day or Alec Pierce, who's going later than those guys. I think there's way too many questions around London, Wilson, Williams, Burks, and as well as Olave. And my favorite NFL receiver of the group is Jamison Williams, but the injury is obviously significant. And I don't know that he ever profiles to be a eight to 10 target a game player. I'm not saying he's Deshaun Jackson or Ted Ginn, but I don't know that he's going to be a high volume receiver. He's probably going to be better for real life than fantasy. Yeah. And, and, you know, while Jared Goff is a decent caretaker, I think is the best word. And we saw mm-hmm. we saw two and maximize Jalen Waddle last year, even though we didn't maximize Jalen Waddle's true skill set, which is the ability to get vertical and, and win deep. I think that's probably also, yes, Jameson Williams could morph into what Jalen Waddle did last year, but all in all, he's a vertical guy who can he can win in all three levels, but I mean he has that rare speed. Right now, they don't really have a quarterback that can that win that way either once you know Jameson Williams gets healthy. So it's like, okay, is this is Goff just there for one more year? Or if they win nine or ten games this year, surprise people win seven or eight. Are they are they in the market next year? Are they are they too far down in the draft? So I think there's definitely some questions there with the injury, with the quarterback, uh, and then just like you said, with the target you know, outlook talent wise, you're, you're probably right. He might be the most talented player, you know, in the wide receiver room. If we pivot back to Calvin Austin for a second, there was a lot of buzz. One, that- one lion's note, yeah. if you don't mind, because it's funny you brought that up because today's podcast, we just recorded it like an hour ago, Peacock and Williamson. I, I have this spreadsheet where I look at completion percentage for quarterbacks and average depth of target. And Jared Goff, to your point, was the lowest average depth of target in the entire league by a pretty wide margin. I mean, Ben was second, and he was unbelievably low, too. So what do the Lions do? They go out and get DJ Chark, trade up for Jamison Williams, saying, we have to change this low average depth of target. And Jared, if you're not going to do it, we're going to find somebody that does. And I don't really think it's in his nature to drive the ball down the field. Yeah, I mean, they'd have to hope 
that they can get a season at for those guys that maybe Goff got with Brandon Cooks when he was in the Rams. Like that would be like the best case scenario. You know, Cooks obviously a guy who can win at all three levels, but definitely a vertical guy as well. So it's really sure. interesting to kind of see what what the Lions kind of do. Uh, back to Kevin Austin for a second. There was a lot of buzz that the Ravens were targeting him. Now, I, while I agree with that, they did have a ton of picks in that round, so I don't really right. feel bad that they got sniped. But I don't think they got shortchanged on draft day. Yeah, yeah, definitely. <laughs> not. Do you think that Calvin Austin could be a guy that maybe the Steelers, you know, listen, the Steelers, their track record, like you said, is phenomenal, right? Once upon a time, they say Deontay Johnson was like their number one wide receiver that year. Mm-hmm. Who do we to say disagree based on what he's became since? But like, do you think they maybe like Calvin Austin even far? higher than where they picked him and they look at him as a guy that maybe they can develop into another you know what do you want to say diamond in the rough or whatever a guy who could be a an impactful player especially if the opportunity opens up down the line it was my favorite pick not fantasy related just Steeler related of their draft and mentioned Greg Cosell I mean he had an extensive write-up on Austin saying I know these small receivers are not prototypical outside guys that can beat man coverage but Austin might be the exception, you know, because he did it repeatedly in college. Everyone tried to press him because he's little. I mean, I've stood next to him on the practice field. He's little, you know, I mean, he, he is a small guy, but he's not Dre Archer. Everyone around here is like, they draft another Dre Archer. Like, he's not, that's not what he is. He's an outside receiver. And I got this from Pro Football Focus that well over 90% of his targets at the college level came as a traditional outside receiver. It's, it's not a gadgety slot only type dude, but the Matt Canada offense, which we didn't see at all last year because Ben refused to run it is going to love him on jet sweeps and things like that as well. I don't know that he's the slot answer. And I also don't know that he's going to be a high volume touch player. I don't want to say he's gimmicky, But he needs a lot of things to go wrong ahead of him to get consistent targets. And the other guy they kind of like is Anthony Miller, who had a decent little career with the Bears, with Trubisky, coincidentally, as a true slot guy. So he might be fifth on the pecking order. Yeah, that makes sense. And listen, yeah. we know we know Dave Bree, you know, wide sure. receivers. You know, we're we're the odds aren't good, right? For every Amon Ross St. Brown, there's ninety-nine others that mm-hmm. never become fantasy relevant, right? Right. Like that was like a extreme outlier. And we'll you know, I like Amon Ross St. Brown, but we'll see how he does with more, you know, more guys there, especially down the stretch. You know, last year there was nobody there, and now they they've obviously added there. If we kind of pivot over to the running backs, rather than kind of break down Brees Hall and Kenneth Walker. Maybe the actual talent of Brees Hall. Like, what were your thoughts pre-draft in terms of some of the other, you don't have to mention names, but like compared to some of the other guys that have came out recently, did you mm-hmm. like him more than Najee Harris or or Josh Jacobs, Claude Edwards-Hilaire, J.K. Dobbins? We had all those guys over the last X amount of years. Did you put Hall right on par with those guys or you had a little bit more reservations that maybe he was not at that level? You mentioned Josh Jacobs. I think that's a good comparison. If I actually put grades on players mm-hmm. still, like I would probably have a similar grade with Hall and Jacobs coming out of school. I mean, that doesn't mean they're the exact carbon copy of one of another. Not. And frankly, I think most draft classes, they would probably be the second running back drafted. You know, like they're certainly not Saquon coming out of school or, you know, I mean, some of the studs that are obvious, the Zeke Elliott types. But I think most years, they're probably the second back off the board and a borderline first rounder 
kind of like a Harris or a Javante Williams or a Josh Jacobs type, you know, I mean, I, I think he's going to be a very good player. I don't think he's special. Mm-hmm. And a guy who I know I was a big fan of on day two was James Cook. Do you, yeah. When you look at James Cook, do you see a guy that early on we kind of know what his role is going to be, but do you think that's where he kind of lives or do you think he can maybe morph in like, the, the comp that I've used for multiple years is the way Tennessee used Alvin Kamara in college, which was underutilized. Mm, okay. I felt the same way about James Cook in Georgia and why should Georgia have done anything different when they had that team and that stable of backs? They didn't need to use them in a variety of ways. But I do see a scenario that, you know, what do you say, 15%, 20%, whatever the case may be. I don't. I could see a scenario where he starts out in that J.D. McKissick role, which Buffalo wanted to sign this year, yeah. but he becomes a guy that might be harder to get off the field than if J.D. McKissick was there, and maybe his role slowly starts to grow. We know he's not going to be a pounder in between the tackles for 20 carries a game, but do you look at a guy like Cook and you say, while he is what he is now... Lost you there for a second. Yep, I think I got you back. Okay. Okay. Yeah. I like Cook a lot, and you mentioned, you know, why would Georgia change what they're doing? They wouldn't. I mean, they have the best defense we've ever seen, and they never have to play from behind. I do believe that if Cook was at my, you know, at Pitt, where he would have got a lot more carries. You know, I mean, so I'm a big fan. I, by no means do I think he's Naheem Hines, you know, or even McKissick for that matter. And for people who don't know, the Bills – had discussions. I don't know how far they went, but they had discussions with Carolina about acquiring McCaffrey. Then in free agency, as you mentioned, go sign to McKissick, who is an elite receiver. I mean, like poor Antonio Gibson can't get any receiving work because <laughs> McKissick's just too good at it. And then they settled or plan C was James Cook. And I think it's a phenomenal addition. And I'm with you that I think more and more he'll be tough to get off the field. Uh, you probably know this better than I do, but I think he's adequate or in protection. I mean, you would know better than I do, I think. I mean, he certainly isn't bashful or turning it down. And I think Big Brother's probably helped him a little bit with that and the toughness. My worry for fantasy, though, and I own him in a lot of spots and had no problem taking him mid to late first round in rookie drafts. I don't know that he's going to score many touchdowns. I mean, he's not going to be the short yardage back. That's Josh Allen or some big guy. So I think most of his touchdowns are going to have to come from distance. Yeah, and, and you know, and whether or not Buffalo changes their philosophy, mm-hmm. while Devin Singletary ran a lot of routes, he didn't get a lot of targets. So right, like, it, right. it'll, it'll be a little bit of, yes, does, does, you know, does James Cook pick up for the loss of Cole Beasley at all or, or, or some of the other targets that are up for grabs there? But, but if those things, you know, kind of pivot over to somebody else – well, then right. are they changing their philosophy and all of a sudden? So I think I think there are some question marks. I'm still buying. I agree with you. I, I would have no problems, especially in a full PPR, you know, somewhere in that first round, mid to late round one. I could totally see the case mm-hmm. for him. Any I, other? Yep, Paul, no. I, I bet Buffalo is thinking Josh Allen takes a beating more than any quarterback in the league, like a Cam Newton, like, you know, workload. And we just gave him all this money. We can't lose Josh. So we're going to tell Josh that when plays break down, dump it to Cook or get it out of your hand. I just don't think Josh is going to do it. <laughs> you know, that's great to say. Not yet. Right, Not yet right, right, right. He's going to run over a linebacker. 
Yeah, so you're right. And and he he has his mindset and he's too young and too talented right now to probably coach that out of him. That's right. just his playmaker mentality since he's been at Wyoming. Uh if we open I wish the floor, Matt Ryan was James Cook's quarterback. Yes. Yeah, <laughs> you know. Well, that's why all that all that Naheem Hines talk this, you know, this exactly. offseason exactly. about how many catches he might have, you know, that would all be James Cook if if things had broke, you know, potentially differently. Uh from the other day two guys or anybody from day three, is there a running back or two either based on what you thought of them as a player on film or a landing spot that you're most intrigued with? I think it's a very, like you said, lackluster group. Yeah. But is there somebody from the Brian Robinson, Damian Pierce, Tyler Algier, Isaiah Spiller, Pierre Strong Jr.? I mean, I could probably list a, a couple more, Hassan Haskins, mm-hmm. et cetera, et cetera. Is there one or two that, that you found yourself maybe getting in some drafts because you like their film and they're falling or you, you like where they're going, you know, in terms of drafts or, or just somebody in general that you might like the landing spot? Yeah, a couple of them I'll touch on. Damian Pierce I had, I think, is my third or fourth. I can't remember if I had him or Cook ranked higher. Just non-fantasy before the draft, running backs I like, and obviously he's much different than Cook. I think, I mean, for people who don't know, go look at the stats for Texans running the ball on first and 10. It's like historically bad. It's like a .1 yards per attempt on first and 10. So they need, you know, that why they draft Kenyon Green the first round and a banger running back not far, far after. They need to get positive yardage on first and 10 to have any chance of success. My worry is, and it's not at all a problem with the player, they just have a lot of backs and a lot of Patriot philosophies down there. Is Rex Burkhead going to eat it? I mean, guys like that. Like, I already think Pierce is their best running back and will look that way in the preseason. I just don't think they'll ever make a workhorse out of them because that's not what they believe. Um, The opposite might be true for Tyler Algier, who I didn't really like his tape that much. I thought he was a, a, a real... Michelob ultra version of James Connor. And I don't mean that as a compliment, really. I mean, pretty monotone player, but I don't think Cordero Patterson's an NFL running back. And I think that started to come to fruition late in the season. And by no means is he Derrick Henry, but I think they want the offense to go through a bruising running back. And Algier to me has a chance to be the number one before long. Um, The other one I've been picking up a lot more that I'm a little shocked that he goes as late as he does in rookie draft is Tyrion Davis Price. Uh, you mentioned Greg Cosell. He raved about Tyrion Price, you know, Davis Price coming out of LSU. And I think what people hold against him is Joe Williams and Sermon and these Niner backs that got drafted that apparently Shanahan loved and then nothing ever happened to them. Well, I don't know why we hold that against Tyrion Davis Price. Yeah, and he's a guy that's actually been growing on me a lot too, and mm-hmm. I've been trying to see if I can get him in places because, yes, they have had some annoying picks that have not right. materialized for fantasy. But at the same time, we know their scheme and their system produces great to elite rushing production. And they if got he's the one, yeah. he's a superstar if he's the one. I don't even care if he's a good player. Yeah, exactly. Right. And, I mean, look what they've gotten out of Raheem Oster. Look what they've gotten out of Jeff Wilson when he was given a chance. Look what they've gotten right. out of Elijah Mitchell. Trey Sermon might just be a colossal bust that he just can't play, period. And same thing with Joe Williams. I right, don't think, right. it, you know, so, yeah, they, they seem to take a running back in that similar range almost every year. 
but they also run the ball fantastically. If it's if it's Lance and not Garoppolo, that's even going to open up rushing lanes, which it probably is for all reports. That's going to open up rushing lanes even more. They might even somehow be more run heavy in this first year if they don't think Lance is ready to, to mm-hmm. fully kind of unleash what they want him to be long term. So there might be more than enough for Mitchell to be effective more than enough for Tyrion Davis-Price to be effective. And let's be honest, they don't have that prototype pass-catching running back. So who's to say that one of these guys who are a little bit different style doesn't materialize into someone who also catches 30 passes or 35 passes, right? They don't have that guy. They don't have a Jarek McKinnon there or, you know, somebody else who you know is going to be on the field, you know, a Scott from the Philadelphia Eagles or somebody like that, who you know they're going to take out Mitchell or they're going to take Tyrion Davis-Price. So they're going to have one of these guys, probably whoever is the best pass protector from the group is going to be on the field, maybe in passing downs. And there could be some even dump offs there, you know, as Trey Lance, you know, learns everything that, you know, Kyle Shanahan's going to put on his plate. So, yeah, I really like the Tyrion Davis price. Uh, he's been the guy that that I've been kind of, you know, inching up my rankings a little bit because I just think people are so down on him because of yeah. what happened no last year with own. Trey Sermon. But yeah. a year ago, think about Trey Sermon was going in round one, which was lunacy at its own right. But at the same time, that's how high we thought of the landing spot because it was San Francisco. And now a year later, it's like totally reversed the other way. Same draft capital, basically. But now nobody wants to even be in as like a second or early third round pick, which I think is a little bit now too right. far the other way. So, Matt, thank you so much. One other name on. I just want to throw yeah. out super quick is – about a round later, I've been picking up Keontae Ingram as well. And I don't love him either, but I'll take James Conner's backup. I mean, again, I'm a pit guy. I'm a Steelers guy. I root for James Conner. Don't get me wrong. I just don't think he's going to stay on the field much the next two years. And that's a good offense. And I think there's a real easy path for Ingram to be the clear handcuff. Yeah, I mean, Darrell Williams signed, um, yeah, you okay. know, Benjamin, yeah. but Keanu right. Ingram is right there in the mix. He's younger. They drafted him. They might want to really give him an opportunity uh, than some of these guys who've been in the building or a veteran. So, th- Matt, thank you so much. Always a pleasure for you to hop on the pod and, and chat it up with you about these rookies. Please, I'm sure most of my audience is following you and, and your work, but please let them know where to find you. Uh, let them know what you're working on, the podcast, any written content, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, and thanks again for coming on. Yeah, I'm at Williamson NFL on Twitter, and I'm reasonably active there, usually just retweeting stuff I put out. Um, And the two podcasts I would recommend are Peacock and Williamson. That's every day, and it's just like my old uh, Football Today time at ESPN. And Locked on Dynasty, which some people might like, is Ryan McDowell and myself do two nights a week of that. Which is fun, you know, and we, we talk Dynasty, and that used to be Dynasty Blueprint. So these are all locked on, you know, network, and it's been great for us. Guys, if you're not checking out those podcasts, uh, you're doing it wrong. Ryan <laughs> and Matt are, are two of my favorite in the industry to listen to their takes. Uh, so make sure you're, you're subscribing to all his podcasts, checking out all his content as well. So on behalf of Matt, on behalf of our sound tech engineer, David Nakano, and myself, thank you for joining us. And I look forward to next time taking you from Saturday to Sunday. <laughs>